0: Uh, Genesis chapters 39 and 40. Uh, Zoom people at home. Uh, welcome to the service, by the way. We do know you're here, and um, yeah, I hope you can follow along to this quite well. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. It's bit straight, isn't it? But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story That Hebrew slave you bought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your, mas- how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That's chapter 39. We'll move on to chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned assigned them to Joseph and attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he, he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. "'This is what it means,' said Joseph. "'The three branches are three days. "'Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, "'restore you to your position, "'and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand "'just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. "'But when all goes well with you,' Joseph said, "'Remember me and show me kindness. "'Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. "'I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews.' And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup into his position. Sorry, so he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Please pray with me, just briefly. Lord, we read the words of your inspired scriptures. Grant us now the ability to grasp its significance. Give us the concentration. Help us, we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Okay. Here's a question for you. How do you deal with disappointments in your life? I'm not talking about the barista not making your coffee right, although that is a major disappointment for some, um, especially if you paid $5.50 for it these days. How do you deal with real disappointments? Major disappointments, things that didn't go right. How do you, how do you respond to them? What what does it do in you? What does it do to you? That's that's the question for today. It, it's an important question because major disappointments are often defining moments in people's lives. That's from the Harvard Business Review. It's not really all that crash wisdom. You can draw that conclusion from anywhere. But, for what it's worth, experts would say that disappointments are important in life. Hugely disappointing because they are going to determine how you, to some extent, are going to turn out, right? Major disappointments are defining moments in your life. They determine to a great point how your life is going to wind up. So the question, how do you respond to big disappointments in your life? Today we're going to look at Joseph. I've said to you previously, we, we, we're a little bit hesitant to uh, identify with Joseph in some sense. Joseph doesn't really represent us in this story. For the most part that's true, but there are some things in which he definitely does represent us and today we're going to look at that, today and next week in fact. Joseph tells us a lot about major disappointments, a whole heap and we're going to see three things about it. Here's the first one. Doing the right thing, he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but you may be, right? He was a Christian, if you would part of God's family, part of the promised covenant people through whom God would be blessing, doing the right thing as a person like that (laughs) will not spare you disappointments. It will not spare you major disappointments even, right? This is what we see roughly from Joseph's life. He, 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 goes into this household of Potiphar after the terrible history of how he got there. I'll say a little bit more about that what that mindset that must have created in him. But he lives in Potiphar's house. He does the right thing. This is a 17 year old kid who has these advances from what presumably would have been a stunningly beautiful woman, Potiphar's wife, who day after day entices him and he says, no I'm going to do the right thing. Blokes Actually, pathway youth, this is a good guy. He, he, by the grace of God, got this whole sex thing quite right, right, as a young kid. He's a stand-up guy. He's doing the right thing. He's he's solid as. He refused to do the wrong thing. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And yet, we read it, where does it get him? His master took him, put him in prison. (laughs) That's what I got him. That's what it earned him. Have you ever had something similar happen to you? Have you persistently and uncompromisingly did the right thing? And it got you nothing but trouble. Putting you in a place where you ask God, why? Why? bargaining with God, I don't know if Joseph did that, but I know we do, I know I do. I'll tell you a good example of recently in my life where I do that very well, and very intensely, you know, I, with this whole COVID thing. I, I thought I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to move to Tasmania, take up a call to a church here, and part of the deal as far as we're concerned, we're from Brisbane, by the way, if you're new, All our family are in Brisbane. We thought, this is cool. We live in a global world. Living far from home is not that bad. Airfares are cheap. We travel a lot. We'll see the family heaps. And then, bam, COVID struck. We haven't seen them for a year. We don't know if we'll see them halfway through next year. Maybe not even next year. A kid has been born. She'll be walking by the next time the grandparents see her. God, this is not what I signed up for. All right? (laughs) I'm doing a good thing here. This is... This is not the life we bargained on. I don't mention that because I want to use a puppet to have a (laughs) a whinge. I just want to earth it into an example. And my example is trite. I think of so many others here who have far more serious things like this. I did the right thing in my marriage. And yet, it fell apart. I did the right thing with my child. Why is she choosing the wrong path in life? I did the right thing with my money. Why did we lose it all? I lived a healthy and responsible life. Why am I afflicted with cancer? Lord, I did not sleep with her. And I'm in jail. Right? That's the wrestle. That's the wrestle. Why do any of these things happen? (laughs) I don't have enough time. Short answer in Joseph's story is, it's to bring about blessing. <laughs> Somehow Joseph and the whole purpose of it, is going is to reveal that. We, we were there last week in the end where the blessing is that he gets to save this whole family from death and we'll get there. He saves you and he saves me. He gives us everything good that we know about God. That's the purpose of why all these bad things happen to him. But take note, the way that God fulfilled that purpose and brought that blessing was through major, major dis appointments. It was like that for Joseph, it will be like that for you and me. Which neatly leads me to the big question then, going on to the second point, which is the question in the beginning. If that's true, if God leads us into our purpose through major disappointments, how do you respond to those disappointments? Here's how Joseph could have responded to Potiphar's wife. My brothers hate me. My childhood was messed up. I was sold as a slave. My future is stuffed anyway. I'm away from home. I'll never get back. This woman wants me, unlike everyone else in my life, My dad, by the way, slept with a lot of women anyway. He didn't get this thing right. Here's what Joseph should or could have thought. He had every reason to be angry, to be bitter, to be resentful, to be cynical, fearful, self-serving, self-pity and acting out. He could have pulled a a Timon and Pumbaa from Lion King, you know, the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. I think that's how he did it right? Dramatic effect. God turns these back on you. You turn your back on God. God is not for you. Clearly not. Clearly not. Here I am as a slave, right? You feel like that? I think that's, that's, that's part of being a human being. I think it's part of being a Christian. And so, dear friend, listen to me, please. You, your life can go this way, this way of bitterness, resentment, self-pity that that imprisons you, or your life can go the Joseph way. What did Joseph do? Right? Let's look at him. (laughs) He somehow finds the ability to Rise above this stuff. It's remarkable. We should be stunned that given what happened to this guy, he rises above it. He goes to prison. The warden puts him in charge of all things. I don't know how that looked, whether he was the Andy Dufresne of the prison, you know, if you watch Shawshank Redemption. Did he get the guys there smokes? Did he earn the... Tr- I don't know how he did it, but he became so trusted, so incorruptible, so stand up that even there in the prison, not long after he gets there, he rises to the top again and he, again, is in a position of immense influence. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. There he lives on top of the prison pecking order and you think, that's great. Finally, hope for him, stability. Things cannot get any worse. He interprets the dreams... He implores the cupbearer, when it all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, get me out of this prison. Hope, surely now is better times for me. Surely God's favour is now going to start happening to me. And then the chapter ends on this terribly sad note. (laughs) Chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Two more years he spends in the prison, it turns out. How do you respond to disappointment? We think at this point that surely Joseph will become bitter. Now he's going to shun the world, he's going to shun God. And yet we know, you know the end of the story, he does not. After two more years in the dungeon, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Pharaoh has some dreams. Joseph gets brought to Pharaoh. Pharaoh interprets the dreams. And Joseph gets to stand in the place where he saves everyone. (laughs) Full purpose of blessing. Let me just draw something for you to drill this home. Here's the question. Here's what we see from this point. Your life, like Joseph's, can be like this, right? You live along pretty happily. And all of a sudden, uh, disaster's going to strike. Major disappointment. And it's a question. What's going to happen? Are you going to reject God, turn your back on the world, just go, nah, bitterness, anger, that's who you're going to be? Or are you going to say, no, look, I'm going to trust. It's a cross. I'm going to trust that somehow... God's purposes for me are going to be fulfilled. That's what Joseph did in Potiphar's house, right? He did that. Then he kept living. He thought, oh, this is going well. I'm doing good. Surely this is where it's going to stay, at a nice, even keel, a a good place. And eventually, disaster strikes again, right? Again, he has the choice. You have the choice. Are you going to go bitterness? And next time, it's a further fall because... We thought things surely would be getting better, but they didn't. So we fall down a lot further. Joseph didn't. He chooses not to go this way. He goes up again. You can now repeat the pattern. Disaster strikes again in prison. Which way will Joseph go? Will he choose to trust God again in his purposes for his life? Or will he go bitterness and resentment? He trusts God and eventually... Through all these disappointments, somehow Joseph makes his way all the way, that's supposed to be a crown, all the way to the top, right? Sorry, you get the point. (laughs) Depending on how you respond to disappointments will depend whether you will go from here to here or whether you're going to go from here to here. There is no other way in life. There isn't. There is no smooth path that sees you going with a straight line, nice and smooth, no disappointments, nothing bad happening. It's just not the way God works. It's not the way God worked with Joseph. It's not the way God worked with Jesus. It's not the way God's going to work with you. What will you do when you get to the forks in the road? What are you doing right now as you face the fork in the road? in your life? Church, that's the question. You can respond to disappointment as an embittered victim, angry with God, angry with people, or a faithful follower of Jesus who eventually will enter the full purposes of his life for you. Right? And let me move to my last point. You might say to me, You don't know me, man. You don't know my disappointments. You know what was done to me. You've got no idea of the size. You talk about poor you, can't see your family and fly three times a year to do what you do. Do you know of my hardship, my pain, my brokenness, the depths of my despair and my hurt? I can't do that. It it is impossible for me, you'd say, to, to come back from my disappointments that I have faced here, of which you know nothing. I hear you say that. I do. Let me say two things to you. Number one, friend, you're right. I know nothing of your disappointments. I'll say that openly. I don't. But I ask you to not look at me. I ask you to look at Joseph. Here is a loved child of God. He knows more of your disappointment than I do. More than that, I ask you to look at the one whom Joseph represents and introduces you to today. Jesus. He knows. If there's one thing you get out of today, please let it be this. He knows. He knows how you feel. He knows the pain. He has experienced it all. We do not have a high priest, God's Word tells us, a high priestess, I won't get into it, who cannot sympathize with us, who does not know how we feel. He he There there, there ain't no disappointment here that he has not felt more so as a human being, right? So please, in the first place, hear this. You're right. I don't know anything of your disappointments, but don't look at me. Look at Joseph. Look at Jesus. Number two, you're also right. You cannot get to the top here. You can't. Joseph couldn't either. There's something that we read in chapter 39 that it's called, Bible nerds call it an inclusio. Okay? It's something that's said at the beginning of the chapter and then it's said again at the end of the chapter, what the writer wants you to get is, this is critical. You must get this. I'll repeat it, I'll put it as bookends. On the top, I'll put it on the bottom, and it's their way of saying, get this. This is why Joseph got here. Here's what it was, I'll read it to you. 39 verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, right? Right in the end. 39 verse 21, but while Joseph was there in prison after a major disappointment, not knowing what the heck is going on, the Lord was with him. (laughs) Your life, point number three, can and will serve the purposes of God if God is with you. Let me finish by preparing us for the Lord's Supper that we're now going to celebrate. There are some of you here today who perhaps indeed are alone. You're in the dungeon, you're in the prison. God is not with you. It's not that he's not present in the prison where you are. It's just that you've never asked him into your heart. (laughs) You're suffering on your own. And I don't know why that is, but I certainly can hold out the invitation for you today to say, God, you already are with me. I now want to feel that you're with me. <laughs> I don't want to do this alone anymore because it only makes me a bitter and embittered. I can name a few words, but I won't. But this is what it makes me, and then I want you with me. I want you with me because I want to go here. I don't want to be here. I want to be here. Be with me. Make your nearness real to me. I I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. I want to be like Joseph. There are some of you here today, again, who are in the dungeon, in the prison you have known God's nearness in the past, but right now he does not feel near. My little daughter said to me the other day before school, it stunned down on myself, I don't know, it was just before she got out of the car, she puckered it up, she said, Dad, I don't know, I don't think Jesus is really with me. I right? don't know what it was, but in truth that's how we feel sometimes. Okay? He may have felt near, we, we knew that he was near, but what you're going through right now does not bear that in your experience. Again, my invitation as you come to the Lord's Supper today is that you would take the bread and take the wine as a prayer, as a request to say, Jesus, I believe in this. Be near to me. Let me know you. Let me feel you. Feel is not the right word. Let me encounter you. Let me face it. it's not about feelings, but let me let, let your nearness be experiential, not just theoretical. Let it make a difference tomorrow morning when I wake up. And I've got to make sense of this disappointment in which I sit and have sat for years or months, right? There are others here who, God's close to you. It's so good, right? You're on top of the world. And and you come too to take the bread and the wine and say, God, you're good. Thank you for what was done here that I can sit where I sit and know that even though it doesn't look right and it's majorly disappointing, you are with me and it's good, and everything's going to be fine one day. If you seek this, if the Lord's nearness to you is what you seek, I invite you to the table. I invite you to come and celebrate uh, in a minute or so. Let me pray, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, forgive us for the times that we expect that things should go well with us as followers of you, even though you never promised that. You promised it will in eternity. But somehow we fail to notice the road of Jesus and the road of Joseph. And Lord, as we face disappointments, major ones in this building because we're humans, we pray that you would do a miracle in us, that would make us like Joseph. May it be said of us, one day when in your grace we may identify the blessing that you brought through our disappointments, that we can say we got here because you were with us. Never once were we on our own. Never once did you leave us. Even when we didn't feel like you were close, you still were. I do pray that as we take the bread and take the wine, Lord, that we would grab it with faith. I ask that if it's grabbed for the first time, you'd give us the confidence to reach out. If it's for the umpteenth time, renew to us its significance that you are with us in Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Can I ask,